Good afternoon. Uh, you guys can hear me, right? This thing still trips me out. I don't really, I feel like small plastic touching my face, and it's just really weird, but um, I was told that this sounds better, so I'm going to give it a shot and go with it. But um, I am uh, recovering from a red-eye flight Friday morning, and so if my sermon is all over the place, it's because I'm still recovering. Um, I took a red-eye flight from Seattle because uh, I went to Seattle for training and work, and uh, we had Nava College Ministry on Friday night, which is Hope Gen. And uh, essentially, my wife knows this very well, I'm super paranoid about being late. Like, I'm incredibly paranoid about being late. My motto, and I live by this, if I'm on time, I'm 10 minutes late. And so if I'm 10 minutes early, I'm on time. And so um, the earliest flights was like at 8 a.m. from Seattle to D.C. And as you know, that's like 11 a.m. And the flight is five and a half hours. So if there's any chance of delay, which it's Seattle and D.C., like, we know that it happens, um, I would be late. And so I was like, I'm going to take a red eye. And so I came early, and I took a nap right after. And uh, the reason why it drives my wife nuts is because when I'm 10 minutes early, most of the people we hang out with are usually 10, 15 minutes late. And so there's like a 20 to 25-minute window where she's just looking at me like, we have to do this again. And so... Um, that's essentially my week. Um, it's good to be here with you guys. Uh, so my wife gets crazy. or she, she, It drives her nuts when I'm 10 minutes early. Um, it also drives her nuts when my eyebrows don't move. I am the quintessential Asian guy. My eyebrows are really stiff. And so even when I'm like happy, it still looks like I'm not moved at all. So 90% of the time, I'm happy, okay? And so if my eyebrows don't move, just know that I'm happy. Okay, um, let's jump into it. If you guys have your Bibles, uh, if you guys could open up to 1 Kings chapter 16. And um, as you guys open there, I'm going to paint the picture of what's going on here. Um, here's the context. And the, today's sermon is his per- perspective changes everything. And um, Mark, I, I don't know why you chose that song, but it, it was absolutely perfect and confirmed that I believe that this is what God wanted to share with you guys. Um, and we'll get there, and you'll see why. But this is the context of 1 Kings 16. So Omri was a king that did wicked in the eyes of God. So he was a king, and he, he messed up, like a lot of other kings that they had. So he messed up, and Omri's son, named Ahab, became king. Ahab, when he was king, married the infamous Jezebel. Jezebel worshipped Baal. And she caused Ahab to also worship Baal. Baal was the false god who was supposed to control fertility and rain. And right before the text that we're getting into, uh, Elijah is a bad man. He is a really bad man. Right before we get into this text, he has a showdown with the prophets of Baal. And essentially says to Israel, how long are you going to go back and forth? Like, if you're going to worship God, worship God. If you're going to worship Baal, worship Baal. Like, don't go back and forth. And so he calls out the prophets and says, okay, we'll have a showdown. We'll settle this once and for all. So they have this sacrifice, and he goes, why don't you call your false god and have the god consume the sacrifice with fire? And so the prophets of Baal are like screaming. They're cutting themselves to make sacrifice, and they're saying, Baal, hear us, and nothing happens. And Elijah's like, I think your god's probably sleeping. You might need to scream a little bit louder. Like, he is a bad man. He is a bad man. Like, if I'm going to war with anyone... I want Elijah on my side. 
Like, he will do anything. He's crazy. And then in a moment, Elijah goes, God, you are the true God. And then the fire comes from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. So this is what's going on, okay? Elijah just wins. But there was a famine for a really long time. Because Baal was the prophet of, even though fertility and rain, there was no rain. So uh, there was no rain. <laughs> and so this is what Elijah says. And this is the text that we're going to. 1 Kings 18. I'm sorry, I think I said 16, but I meant to say 18. 1 Kings 18, verses 41 through 46. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of a rushing wind. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So uh, Elijah is basically saying, go up and see if the rain is coming because God is one, right? Like God is Lord and we're praying for rain, so see if the rain is coming. So uh, he tells his servant to go up and he looked up and said, there is nothing. And so Elijah said, go up again. And he said this seven times. So seven times the servant is going back and forth to see if it's actually raining. At the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. Like, yay big. Super small. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go back down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great wind, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Okay, so I don't know if you guys caught that, right? They're asking for rain. Seven times, nothing happens, and on the actual seventh time, there is a cloud, and the literal word there is like an envelope of darkness, like an envelope, just a small amount of darkness, the size of a man's fist. If you are a betting man, you don't put your chips on this, <laughs> right? Like, it's only a little bit of cloud, right? And yet, what does Elijah say? Go. It's coming. It's coming. Like, it's a little bit of hope, just a little bit of rain that's coming, and yet they reorient their entire day, their entire strategy of what's going to happen based on a little bit of hope. And they go, and sure enough, God does bring the rain, right? And so the reason why I'm talking about this is because I think hope is uh, very much like that. I think hope and disappointment don't coexist. If you are afraid of disappointment, God is calling you to hope, the fear of being disappointed and the hope that might be this small don't coexist together, right? Um, and then later on in 1 Kings 19, uh, this has nothing to do with my sermon. I just thought this was really funny, okay? Um, 1 Kings 19, Jezebel basically threatens Elijah and says, I'm going to get you. Like, just like you killed my prophets, I'm going to do this to you by the next day. And then what does Elijah do? The bad man, he's like a super bad man. He like completely had a showdown with the prophets of Baal. What does he do? He runs and he hides in a cave. And then he says this, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. <laughs> like a little bit dramatic, right? And he falls asleep, okay? And this is really funny. I never knew this was in the Bible because every time I heard this passage, it was about the showdown. No one told me about chapter 19, verse Something in there. I don't have the verse numbers in here. But he says this. An angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. 
And he looked, and behold, and there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones. I never knew a cake was in the Bible. Okay? So if anyone is wanting to be more angelic, I like mochi cake, fruit cake. I like Oreo cake and ice cream cake. Okay? So I will gladly eat those. Okay? But I love it because even though Elijah had this showdown, he got really tired, and he almost felt disappointed. He almost felt let down. He almost felt like the hope that he invested into that cloud's hand is now all of a sudden failing him, right? And so the, the disappointment is starting to creep in, and he's tired, and what does God do? God says, here, have a cake and get some rest. I love that. And then I came across this article on CNN. If you know anything about me, I don't like media. <laughs> media drives me nuts. And so when I see this on media, I love it because this article, and I love how much the media is a, like anti-Bible, and I love how sometimes people like the super smart researchers are saying the Bible is outdated, and yet they have all the scientific evidence basically talking about the Bible. <laughs> like this is not new discovery. It's been in the Bible for 2,000 years, right? And so I came across this article on CNN, and it says this, how hope can help you heal. How hope can help you kill, heal. And these are some of the verses that are in there. Verses. Oh, still talking like I'm, it's in the Bible. This is what the article says. Belief and expectation, the key elements of hope, can block pain by releasing the brain's endorphins and enkephalins. I don't know if I said that right. Please don't correct me. Mimicking the effects of morphine. That's insane. Belief and expectation release the same chemicals in your brain that morphine does. That's insane, okay? In some cases, hope can also have important effects on fundamental physiological processes like respiration, circulation, and motor function. That's like your entire life. <laughs> hope is a big deal. And I remember... Um, I think it was in 2009, 2010, shortly after I got saved and reborn, I remember asking the Lord, like, God, teach me hope. Like, I have no idea what hope is, right? And so uh, I've never graduated that class, apparently, because I'm still learning about hope. But I remember um, a friend of this house, his name is Bob Hartley, he came, and his entire message is on hope. And I remember, like, sitting in one of his teachings, like the first ones, I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. Like, God, you're answering my prayers. And I remember being super offended. <laughs> I was like, what? Like, hope in God, hope in prayer, hope in cities? Cities and nations, like, we hope in cities? Like, cities are terrible. Hope in people, people are terrible. Like, what does this mean, like, hope? And I remember being super confused about it. And now I can't stop talking about it. Because it's so true. Hope is really where everything begins. Okay? Um, the article continues to go on and talks about five main pathways to hope. So essentially, they're saying hope is super important, right? Everyone needs hope. And these are the five things, the main pathways to hope. And I love this because they might as well be preaching a sermon on this. Maintaining identity. Knowing who you are. Knowing who you are in the Lord. This is my translation. That's not what they say in CNN. But knowing who you are in the Lord. You are a child of God. And the more you maintain your identity the more you create pathways of hope in your life. Number two, realizing community. Church, what we're doing right now, breaking bread, fellowship, fighting for one another. 
being in a place where we believe in each other's callings, right? I have friends um, who literally just champion me when I don't feel like I, I'm like worthy to be a pastor. I'm like, oh, I don't even know if I can do this. Like the importance of community is that they reaffirm my calling. This is what it means to be a community, right? And this is the second pathway that they, they identify. And here's the third one, claiming power. This is so good. CNN is preaching a sermon right to me. I never thought, but claiming power, realizing your authority in Christ, seated in heavenly places. Number four, attending to spirituality. <laughs> Prayer. <laughs> like being in church, believing in Jesus, Holy Spirit. And number five, developing wisdom. And I mean, I'm reading this article and going like, how? Like, how do we miss this for 2,000 years when it's in the Bible? Like, God has been speaking to us about this for generations, okay? Um, there is one thing that they missed, though. And uh, it's obviously that hope. If you try to do this on your own, it's not really hope, is it? If you don't know where hope comes from, if you don't know the God of hope, then it's just wishful thinking, isn't it? Um, I'm going to get back onto that, but... Uh, I, during this period of when I was learning how to hope and like understanding what hope really meant, I was going to different conferences on my own, trying to understand like what is prophetic gifting and what is hope. And so uh, one of my favorite speakers and evangelists, his name is Robbie Dawkins. Like I love him because I've seen ministry videos of him like saving gangbangers in Chicago and them like turning over their drugs. And he's like, he has like bags of dope and he's like, dope for the kingdom of God. I'm like, that guy is my hero. And so apparently he was going to be in town like two hours north of where I lived in Pennsylvania. So I drove up two hours, and I remember like sitting in his teaching, and it was so good. And he was like talking about all these stories, and I'm like, man, this is so good. And I'll never forget what he said. Dig for the gold, not the dirt. Dig for the gold and not the dirt. And then I was like, yeah, that's really good. And then during ministry time, I went up to receive prayer. And I'm like, you know how they have like different ministry leaders in there? I was like, I, I, want, I want Robbie, <laughs> right? And so I like stayed and I waited for Robbie and I was waiting for like 15, 20 minutes. Time goes by. I'm like, Lord, I want, I want prayer and ministry from Robbie. And Robbie walks over and he touches my chest and he goes, dig for the gold, not the dirt. And he walks away. I was like, what? <laughs> I drove two hours, dude. Like, give me something more than that. Like, tell me, like, read my mail. Like, tell me what God's speaking about me. And then I'm driving home, like, feeling somewhat disappointed. But I remember, like, that phrase would not leave my mind. Dig for the gold and not the dirt. Dig for the gold and not the dirt. And as I'm, like, reprogramming my mind to think about this, I'm like, this is really hope. He said this. It may have been him or Chris Valentin, but I can't remember. But he said this, and I'm paraphrasing. Any ding-dong can look at a pile of doo-doo and say, that's doo-doo. If you can do that, and he's, you'll understand why I'm saying this. If you can say that, that does not make you a prophet. That does not make you a man of God. That does not make you a woman of God. Any person can look at doo-doo and say, that's doo-doo. But he says this, a true prophet and a true man and woman of God can look at the doo-doo and say, there's gold under there. 
they can see it and they can find it and draw it out. Isn't that good? Um, and so I'm like still learning about hope, and I'm like, okay, how do I apply this in my life? Uh, there are six attributes of hope that I just want to go down. I told you I'm sorry that this is a little bit all over the place, but I've learned over the past few years that hope is a choice. Digging for gold and not the dirt is a choice. You don't have to do it. It's a choice you get to make every day. Uh, I used to work at a small company where my manager was terrible. <laughs> she used to like, tell me I was doing everything wrong, and the next day she would be really friendly to me. And the day after, like, I'm being written up for something that I didn't do. I'm like, which one am I going to get the next day? And so I remember like, driving into the morning. I'm like, God, I have no idea who I'm going to get. And so like, six to seven months, this keeps going on. And I remember like, praying for my work, and I felt like God was saying, hope in your manager. I was like, absolutely not. I hate this person so much. And God's like challenging me about it, right? Like hope really is a choice. And so I spend some time hoping. And I start digging for gold. And I start realizing that there really is gold. Like she does know what she's doing in certain areas. She did take me under her wing. And so the first thing that hope did was it changed me. And then as I drew those things out of her, she began to open up. And uh, I don't want to go into all the details, but she went through a crisis uh, where eventually she needed to leave work. Um, but before she left and before I left, we were all sitting together. And I love this about God. God just does whatever he wants when we hope. When we have ability to just give him our lives and obey him, he does incredible things with it. So we're having uh, this time with our team. We're sitting together. And she goes like this. My bo boyfriend, essentially, he was sick. And so since he's sick, my mother has been coming to take care of him while I'm at work. And she will not stop talking about church to him. So I come home one day, and he looks at me and goes, babe, let's get baptized. And she's telling us this, and my jaw is, like, dropping. I was like, I never thought God would do this to my manager. And then she goes, yeah, I don't know what to do with this. Like, I really feel like religion should be a choice, and we're figuring it out. I was like, do it, <laughs> get baptized. But I don't know what happened after that. We haven't kept in touch. But God can really open doors through hope, amen? So hope is a choice. You can choose to hope. You don't have to, but it's a choice. Number two, hope is God's perspective. I'm convinced more and more that hope is really the way God sees everything. There's always hope. Uh, when I got back from Seattle, we went to uh, the campus and I remember asking, like, what's going on? And then uh, we were talking about it, and David Tucker and Abby were filling me in. Like, there was a group of crusaders that were going on tour to university to university and publicly condemning people for the way they're living. Right? They're essentially saying, the way you're living, you're going to hell. And they were making this a tour at different universities. And I remember thinking, first thought was, who are these guys? I want to go talk to them. Like, I want to tell them that what they're doing is wrong. There's a part of me that's like, Man, they're literally ruining everything we're trying to do. Like we're trying to embrace people and love them and like bring them in. And now we're going to get less people. And there's a part of me for a split second, I freaked out. And then I remembered what God's perspective was, which is hope. So I remember thinking, God saw this coming like 50,000 years ago, and it never freaked him out. If there's any instance in your life where you're like, man, this is looking really bad, just remember God knew that was going to happen. 
20,000 years ago. And he still has a plan for this. Amen? Number three, I mentioned this before, but hope changes you. Before it changes anyone else, the way we think and the way we see God and the way we see our own lives, hope changes us first. And then it changes others. And then it changes others. Um, it changed me. And then I remember uh, there were several people after that that I would want to talk to and just draw out some gold, like dig for the gold and not the dirt. And I remember seeing lives like transformed like before my eyes. I remember there was this one guy, um, he was struggling with a specific sin. I'm not going to go into detail, but I just remember the Lord gave me a word for him. And it was filled with, like, gold. It was good stuff. And I told him what I saw, and it's, like, his entire, like, he was, like, kind of like a buff guy. He was wearing, like, a beater. He had muscles everywhere, and he just looked super tense. And as soon as I told him, his shoulders, like, dropped. And it felt like peace came all over him. He got saved that day. So hope changes others. And number five, people really need hope. People really need hope. And believers, even Elijah, really needs hope. So the article, I read through it. It was great. And like I mentioned before, they missed the most important thing. Where does hope come from? Where does hope come from? They even got this part right. And this is what it says in the article. It says this. There is profound difference between hoping and wishing. Wishing encourages passivity, whereas hope represents an active stance. Wishing encourages passivity, whereas hope represents an active stance. And essentially, this is what it means. The hope of God is an active force. It rearranges the direction of your life. It rearranges the way you see things, and it changes the way you walk out life. And it is not just a passive thought. It drives me nuts when I tell my unbelieving friends, like, I'm praying for you, and you, they go, oh, that's a good thought. Thank you. We could appreciate your thoughts. I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. God is coming to get you, okay? Hope is not a passive thought. It rearranges your footsteps, okay? Does anyone know who that is? <laughs> a lot of people probably have no idea who this guy is. Okay, you guys recognize him now? You guys know who that is? This is the story of Chloe Kim. And I love this picture of the father. The story is this. When she was about four years old, they went on a family trip, and they decided to do snowboarding. They gave it a try, and he saw something really special. Like, Chloe was, like, something really special. And eventually, as the skills began to sharpen, the dad quit his job to focus on his daughter and her dreams. Like, that is hope. That is hope. Hope is seeing the gold in someone else's life or seeing the gold in your own life to the point where your entire life trajectory changes because there is a confident expectation of what God is going to do. Does that make sense? Um, this is where I want to land. I know I'm a little bit all over the place. I apologize, but I will never forget this. I was at a DTS in Harrisburg, and um, one of the speakers there, his entire message is the Father's heart. And during this message, he 
begins to open up and share about how uh, his dad was a military person. And since his dad was a military person, um, he had a lot of post-trauma issues. And he would come home, and there would be violence in the home. And he said he grew up like wondering why he was being abused and really not having an answer. And his entire life message is discovering the heart of God as a father. Of all things, like being abused as a child, discovering the heart of God and how much he loves his children. And so God's working on his heart, and eventually what happens is he finally gets to a place where him and his dad are standing side by side. And it's still really awkward, right? There's a history there. And he tells his dad this. He goes, I've discovered Jesus, and I forgive you. And they both start weeping. They're weeping, and they're embracing each other. And my entire class is on the ground weeping. (laughs) They are undone. And I remember like people who have been experiencing woundedness from their own fathers, their fathers leaving them, or their fathers just not being present in their lives, or they, some of them did have abusive fathers. They're all on the ground. They're crying because they're beginning to understand that God is not angry and that there is hope for their lives. And this is what caught me off guard. There's another Korean girl. I think we were the only two Korean people in the class, and she's a really artistic person. And the speaker tells her, because we all know that she does art, she wants to pursue a career in art. And so he says, why don't you come up here? And then puts a canvas in front of her. I don't know where the canvas came from, but there was a canvas there. And he gives her a marker and a paintbrush and goes, I want you to paint the face of God over your life. And I'm like, that might take a while. (laughs) And so she starts drawing, and then she draws this face. And it's a very peaceful face. She's Korean, and so the eyes were a little bit smaller. I'm kidding. But she draws the face, and it looks really peaceful, but there's no smile. And and so he leans over into her ear and says something. I don't know what it is, but she starts crying again, and she erases the mouth and puts a big smile on his face, like a really artistic smile. And then she starts weeping. The reason why I share this is because his perspective over your life changes everything. His perspective. I think a lot of times we come to church wanting someone else's perspective of us, if we're real. I think a lot of times we go to work hoping that someone else's perspective of us will make our day. I mean, I'm guilty of it too. Sometimes I want my wife's perspective of me, like, tell me how awesome I am. Tell me what a good husband I am, right? But that doesn't change anything. This is what CNN missed. Hope doesn't come from anyone else but from God. He is our eternal hope. And if there's any doubt of whether or not God still has hope in you, Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son but gave himself up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's already given it all. If there's any doubt, if there's still hope for your life, if there's any doubt whether or not there is perspective of God's life or God's hope over your life, this is the verse to go to. He's not going to withhold it. He's not going to withhold it. And his perspective on your life will change everything. First, it'll change you. And then it'll change people around you. Amen? I'm going to share one more story. 
I love this story because it was recent with Pastor Q and Joyce Hamanin. We went to Richmond for this retreat. And uh, we had this, my wife and I, like Pastor Q told us, like, we're going to do a prophetic seminar. And so Hannah and I were like, okay, <laughs> let's do it. And so we're like praying, and then he gives us a list of names. And so we go down the names. And we're praying, and we're getting words for these people. Hannah got this crazy word to the point where I was like, I don't think you should share it <laughs> because it was so specific. And you guys know the rules, right? Like no dates, no mates, no babies when you prophesy over people. Those are the three rules you do not do. And she goes, I see a pregnant woman. I'm like, don't prophesy it. And so when she's sharing it, she actually says it in a spiritual way. Like, you know, like there's a promise coming out. Like when you're pregnant, turns out they just started trying to have kids. And so my jaw dropped. And I was like, yeah, no, I told her to say it all, you know. I was like, babe, you're spot on. But uh, while we're praying for names, there's one name that stood out. And as I'm praying for him, it's not even like this like fancy word. Like I'm praying and I'm stuck. Like I can't go down the list anymore. Like I can't go down. And I'm like, man, like what is this about? And so like I see a picture of him sitting on a desert, like a really dry and barren desert, and then like these dark clouds starting to come like a huge thunderstorm coming. And immediately I felt like God was saying, like, this guy just went through a lot. He's lost someone that is really close to him, and he needs hope. I'm like, okay, cool. And so we, I, I share it on the mic, and the guy, like, looks at me, like, really blank. And it turns out he thought the whole prophetic thing was like a horoscope. He was, like, not bought into it at all. So when I'm telling him this word, he has no reaction. And then we sit down afterwards, and then he walks out of the sanctuary. And he comes back in, and he sits down, and Pastor Q's preaching. And I look over, and he's gone again for like another 10, 15 minutes. And he comes back in, and he does this throughout the entire evening. I'm like, I think I messed up. <laughs> I think I like either offended him, or I think I just totally ruined his day. And he, afterwards, he comes up to us, and he goes, this is crazy. And he goes, whatever you said, or whatever God told you, like, it's going to change my life. And essentially... The reason why he was going in and out of service was because he was calling his friends and his parents, telling him, you're not going to believe what God just did for me. That's incredible. That's incredible. His face changed when he understood who God was, when he started to see God smile over his life. If I could have the worship team come up... Um, just play gently in the background, but I don't really want to go like too deep, but I do feel like this part is really necessary. Everyone close your eyes. We're just going to do this spiritual exercise. Nothing fancy. But when you close your eyes and you think about God, is he smiling? When you close your eyes and you look into his eyes, do his eyes have hopeful expectation for you? Do you see his smile in your life? His eyes that are proud. There's a difference between eyes that are proud and eyes that aren't. Is he proud? Here's the thing, God really wants us to be a source of hope.
He wants us to be first and foremost connected to the source of hope, be connected to who he is, to see his smile. I love what Laura Hackett says in one of his songs, one of her songs. She says, your smile destroys all religions. Do you see his smile? So right now, just soak it in. Soak in a smile over your life. The good thing about doing this together is when we can't see it, someone else can see it over your life, right? real quick if you're having trouble seeing his smile I'm going to invite you to be bold and just stand up real quick so we can pray for you I love what some of the speakers say sometimes people don't have enough faith so you can borrow mine sometimes people don't feel hope they don't see the smile of God in your life it's okay you can borrow some of mine So if that's you, if you need to see his smile over your life, go ahead and stand up real quick. I just want to bless you. there's someone standing around you or if there are leaders let's surround them let's dig for gold let's dig for gold let's tell them let's pray for them and let's lend some of the hope that we have in the Father journey of hope and become a source of hope for others like you're so connected to the source of hope that you can't help but hope in all of your life you can't help but hope in people and if that is stirring you and you're saying yes like this is what I want to do can you also stand so we can bless you God doesn't fill to just the top. He overflows. He fills us to overflow, which means when we're overflowing, it leaks out wherever we go. Hope leaks out. His smile leaks out onto others. So if we could have leaders and people around the other ones who are standing, can we just bless them? Let's pray for a season of ridiculous hope.
there's some people who are standing. If you could just surround them and encourage them. Let's pray for them. some more people help out with prayer. Let's bless some of these guys. God doing in their life? What is the hopeful plan that he has for their life? Yes. Smile changes everything. smile changes everything. The story is still being written. It's not over. It's not over. God, we release hope. We want to see your smile. Father, we want to see your smile. and we say, God, we, we want to know you. Father, in the little bit that we do, God, we want to know you more. Come, Father. We declare that the story is not over. No matter what season we're in, you have the last word. And it's not over yet. 
not over. I just want to, I just felt compelled by God uh, recently and that uh, that uh, to make uh, every Sunday a call. If anyone needs to come to know Christ and find life and hope that is in Christ Jesus, you have a place here. If you, draw, if you need to find hope, you need to come to Lord Jesus Christ. If you need the voice of hope in your life, He is a God of hope. I want to declare this over you. And if anyone here who has not known Christ, Jesus as your Lord, for your personal Savior and Lord in your life, I want to give you an invitation to come to meet Christ, the God of hope in you. He speaks joy over you. He smiles over you. He speaks life over you. I want to declare that to you today. What I, what I want to invite right now is if you can put your hands on your heart, all of, all of, us, all of us, I sense there is a smile of God in our midst. You may be going through some difficult season, some loss, some chaos, some worries, but here I believe God is calling us to look unto Him, look to Him, turn to Christ, turn to Him. He is the God of hope. He smiles over us. He speaks His hope over us. In His hope, He shines the light. The darkness is, darkness trembles, darkness no more. We declare today we are sons and daughters of God in Christ Jesus. We love you, God. We love you, God. We are yours. We belong to you, God. We are yours. But I ask today, God, fill our hearts and minds with your joy. Father, speak to us of your kindness. Show us of your hope that is in us. The things we do not see, you speak over us. God. You show us the things we do not see, but you see. And bring it to being. We are, what, we are who you say that we are. We are people of hope. We give you glory, God. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We honor you, God. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.